Good morning, everybody. Lovely to see you this morning. Thanks to Judy. That baby gets passed around. My um, devotional reading this morning was from 1 John, and it was a um, passage which I've read lots of times, but the message version I hadn't read. So I'm going to open with that, and I felt um, actually just to pray around love, God's love for us, and um, his love that is manifested in us that others can um, be blessed by and come to know Jesus. So let's pray together. Please join me. 1 John chapter 4. There is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear. Since fear is crippling, a fearful life, a fear of death, fear of judgment is one not yet fully formed in love. We, though, are going to love, love and be loved. First we were loved, now we love. He loved us first. If anyone boasts, I love God, and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he's a liar. If he won't love the person he can see, how can he love the God he can't see? The command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. Let's pray together. Father, you are the author of not just love, but life itself. From the moment of your conception of this earth, it was out of a desire for us to be fully participating in the Trinity. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Lord, it's your love that sustains this world. It's your desire to have relationship with all that you've created. Father, help us to open up ourselves again to your love. Where we've grown hard, please soften our hearts and our minds. Where we've got into the habit of analysing and trying to work things out in our own minds, refresh us, reveal yourself to us again. Lord, may it be your love that motivates our actions. Father, I pray for families in our church. I pray for a new, fresh love between spouses, between husbands and wives. A fresh love for children. Patience and grace, a sustaining love that holds families together. Lord, I pray that the families of Hills Church will be built on your love. I pray also for our community. Lord, it is a broken, hurting community. Lord, true love brings reconciliation and relationship, relationship with you and with one another. It makes us bold and brave to look outside of our own circles, to reach out to others. Lord, I pray that we would be vessels of your grace and your love in Blackwood and far, far beyond. Help us to be outgoing with your love. And Father, we pray for situations all over the world, for devastation caused by war, natural disasters, famine, poor government, Lord, so often it's the poorest of the poor who suffer. 
Father, may your love reign. May the Christians who are working in those communities rise up. And Lord, where we have diluted and watered down your love, please forgive us. Where we hold on to our own way of doing things, instead of letting you just work through us, Lord, forgive us. Your love is so much bigger and it doesn't just cover our needs. So help us to be generous as you have been so generous with us. You first loved us and that's the only way we can love others. Lord, remind us of that today and this week. Help us not to be shackled by our own ways of doing things, but to be open to you. To take those steps of faith, to meet the needs of those around us. And we pray all of these things that your name would be glorified and lifted up. That this world would come to know you. Father, have your way in us, I pray. And may this church be a church that reaches out, that looks outward, that knows that the source of all of our strength and any wisdom that's worth anything at all comes from you. We pray that this church would be a blessing to its community through the people, Lord. We pray all of these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Sorry, (laughs) you were right, I should have stopped. (laughs) I'm just going to pray for Sam as he leads us with the word. Lord, I just thank you for the privilege that it is to speak your word. And I pray for confidence, courage, boldness and grace. Lord, give us ears to hear from you, not from Sam, from you, Lord. Soften our hearts, I pray. Make us open. And may the seed that's planted this morning fall on good ground, that you would water it and that it would bear much fruit for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. My, uh, my lovely assistant... <laughs> my, lo- my lovely assistant Dave Cottrell is going to be just setting something up for me as I, as I begin. Um, Hans Wharton's coming uh, in a couple of weeks' time uh, to the coach house as we discover our spiritual gifts. Uh, I've got to say, um, some people's spiritual gifts are pretty obvious. And I'd say, when I look at Dave, the gift of service. Now, he is a server. He will be asking, what can I do to help? And we, we honour you in that, Dave. And I just, very before, just before the sermon, said, can you do this for me? Yep, I'll, I'll do it for you. So thank you so much. Hey, great singing this morning, church. Awesome singing. Great to worship with you. And it's never a, a show. It's never um, the people out the front doing something. But we're all participating in worship together. And I love it when I hear a wall of sound coming back. It was very, very, very beautiful. Uh, I'm in the middle of a series um, called Practicing Biblical Hospitality. Now, I know I might say last week a couple of times. Last week was church camp, but the last week 
is the last time I talked on it. <laughs> it was two weeks ago. So if, if I keep saying last week, you know what I mean. Practicing biblical hospitality last week, uh, I, I highlighted the word biblical hospitality. Because if we think about what hospitality means in terms of a general description, uh, we would say that hospitality is simply welcoming the stranger. Uh, hospitality means to um, welcome the guest. Uh, and often we would see that uh, in our homes or, or over a meal. But I wanted to kind of go a bit further and say, well, what does biblical hospitality mean? What does what do you mean by that? And I, I stated that biblical hospitality is making space for others when you don't have to. Um, and I unpacked that a bit as I looked. Um, <clears throat> if you look through scripture, throughout there's this, this thread, there's this theme of hospitality being something that is modelled by God, who is a, a hospitable God. Uh, before the creation of the world, God was Father, Son and Spirit and in relationship. And they didn't have to, but they made space for us, for all of creation, for all of humanity to actually become part of that beautiful relationship between Father, Son and Spirit. And Jesus, I was um, listening in the car, I've got um, the Bible app and it just reads to me. And it came to the passages where Jesus was in the garden and Jesus is saying to the Father, Father, take this cup from me. And as I was dwelling on the concept of making space for others when you don't have to, I was wondering whether Jesus might be saying something like, Father, I've hung out with these guys for many years. Are you sure? Are you sure we want to do this? I mean, they're pretty crazy. They're pretty, you know, they haven't got it all together. They're pretty mean. They've rejected me. Can't we just go back to how it was before? Wouldn't it be easier? It's a bit like, you know, when perhaps you've got something on inviting people over or you've got life group on and you've had a hard day and sometimes it might be easier to say, can we just get takeaway love and watch a movie? Wouldn't that be easier? I wonder if Jesus had that same thought in the garden. But no, they chose to make space for us when they didn't have to. This morning I want to look at the obvious way of being hospitable. When you think about being hospitable, what comes to mind? Having a meal around a table. That is the most obvious thing that comes to mind when we think about practicing hospitality. And so if there was a, a subtitle to my word this morning, it would be rediscovering the ministry of the table. Rediscovering the ministry of the table. If you've got your Bibles uh, or an app, open to uh, Luke 14. I'm going to read uh, just a passage where Jesus teaches on hospitality. But I'm actually going to be referencing pretty much the whole of chapter 14, so you might want to have it open with you. I want to read to you from... Verse 12, then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, 
the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. I want everyone this morning to begin by thinking about your favourite meal. And I don't mean the food. What was the occasion? What was the experience? Was it your, your wedding meal? Was it uh, Christmas? Like, just think in your mind. What, what comes to mind when you think about that favourite time of, of sharing a meal with people? Now, I can bet, as, you, as you're thinking about that, that pretty much every one of you is thinking about a time when you were with other people. None of you are thinking, oh, that time I went to Macca's drive through and sat in the car park. Oh, that was the best. <laughs> or remember that time I was a poor student and my housemates went out for lunch and I couldn't afford it, so I had two-minute noodles on the stove and I was alone. Oh, that was fantastic. If I could go back there again... That would be awesome. No, I bet that you're all thinking of a time when you were with others, loved ones, family members, perhaps someone special, a special guest, those close to us. In fact, when we lose a loved one, it's often around the table that we miss them the most. I want to tell you an ex- my, what conjures up to me uh, with my favourite meal. And that is um, the first Christmas I had at Joe's parents' house. Uh, we were just going out, and um, here's an example of a family that made space for someone when they didn't have to. Uh, here's a very uh, well-respected young lady, brings home a punk rock surfer into your home. Imagine that was your daughter. How would you feel? (laughs) Would you make space for them or would you say, hey, there's the door, mate? In fact, I've got a picture of us. Sorry to do this to you, Joe. I didn't ask you about this. This is one of my favourite pictures of us when we were going out. (laughs) So your daughter brings that guy home, invites him to the, the Christmas table, I'm going to turn off now. You can not look at that. Uh, I grew up in a house uh, with two older brothers and a mum and a dad, and our meal times were something different. My dad uh, worked a government job, and he got the bus home at, on the dot. So we knew, you know, on the on the strike of whatever time it was, he'd walk through the door. The meal was ready for him, and we all sat down. But we had to eat it before watching ABC News because that's what my parents did. So there was this short time between dad getting home and ABC News that we had tea. And with three young, growing, strapping lads, we ate tea like this. (laughs) Get it down as fast as you can, right? Especially if there's seconds, like you have to finish what's on your plate first. Um, So in order to get seconds, you've got to get, get there first and get them before your brothers. So that was my experience of food. It was a practical thing getting fed. That was our meal time. And then I get invited to this family <laughs> and there's this amazing spread of food and a banquet table 
and there's some hors d'oeuvres and there's conversation and we sit down and, you know, they serve the food and I do what I normally do. <laughs> and I look up and, and everyone's plates are still full and they're still serving one another and I've finished my plate of food. Joe's kicking me under the table. Stop, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm trying to make a good impression and what are you doing? Because um, I had, <laughs> that was my experience. And, you know, an hour would pass and they still hadn't finished their meal. The second hour would pass and they were maybe on to seconds. The third hour passed and, oh, let's do a bit of clearing up before the dessert comes. And out comes three different desserts. And come 10 o'clock, 10.30, the occasion is still happening. So the meal was the event. And I remember thinking, what is this? <laughs> I don't understand it, but I love it. I don't understand it, but I love it. There was something so special because it was about conversation. It was about engagement. It was about relationship. The meal wasn't a, just a practical thing. It was part of the whole that was about fellowship and understanding one another on a deeper level. And now when uh, we ever get together, I always just long for that sense of togetherness. Now, this should say something to us. It should say that we are made for this. We are designed for a feast. In the Old Testament, in Isaiah 25, verse 6, it says the Lord, uh, Isaiah prophesies that the Lord will make a feast for all people. See, this is where we're actually headed. It fits with the idea that God is the Lord of hosts, he is a God of generosity. He welcomes and includes us. And at the end of all time, there will be a feast and it will be good. It won't be two-minute noodles <laughs> or a Macca's Big Mac. It's a picture of what we see in Revelation 19. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. I don't know what your picture of heaven is. So often we get images of like cartoon cherubs with nappies and harps and on clouds and singing forever and things like that. Is, that. is that actually what heaven will be like? Is that what Jesus describes what the wedding supper of the lamb will be? No, we will have Jesus in our midst. We will see him face to face. And with all those family members and loved ones who are part of Christ's body will be there and will sit across from Jesus and we will have a place at his table and there'll be fellowship and there'll be connection and there will be feasting with resurrected taste buds. Yay. Amen. <laughs> Jesus said at the Last Supper, I won't take up this cup or I won't drink of the vine again until I drink it with you again in the kingdom of God. We are designed and we are made for the table. We are made for a feast. God in the Old Testament was always the God who provided. He was the best host. Manna from heaven, water from a rock, a land flowing with milk and honey, and we can go on with the way God provided for his people. 
And so it's not surprising that when Jesus shows up, what does he do? He comes and has meals with people. Last week, we talked about Levi's house and how at um, the tax collectors that would have been um, ostracised and on the outs in society were there feasting and partying and welcomed by Jesus. Jesus says to Zacchaeus, come down from the, the tree, Zacchaeus. We're going to your house for a meal. In fact, in uh, Luke's gospel, it's full of meals. There's a guy who wrote a book called Eating Your Way Through Luke's Gospel. (laughs) And basically his premise is that in the gospel of Luke, you may not notice this, but he's either going to a meal or he's at a meal or he's coming from a meal. And that's where we find ourselves today in Luke 14. Because this was Jesus' methodology. Jesus never started a crusade. He never pioneered a new program. He never started a non-for-profit charity. He simply had meals with people. And do you know what? We can do the same. In fact, we can actually see the table as an evangelistic tool. I hear a lot of... um, people talking about the fear of what it means to share our faith or I don't have that gift or you know, I need to leave it to someone with more charisma. Um, you know, there's, there's always this, this worry about what it means to, to share our faith, to, to have evangelism. What does it look like? You know, what I want to say to you this morning, do you have a table? Can you make a cheese toasty? Then you've got all the elements needed for great evangelism because you can invite people around the table just as Jesus did and you can engage and you can uh, have conversation and you can share. In fact, I believe that Jesus used um, the table a lot because at the table you sit down and, and you relax and there's something... Your guard drops, doesn't it, when you're sitting across from someone and there's relaxation. All of a sudden, now there's opportunity for conversation, for sharing, for communion. In fact, um, in Jesus' day, they didn't even have chairs. (laughs) Did you know that? In Jesus' day, they they reclined. They reclined at the table. Pretty relaxing. Might just uh, do the rest of the sermon from here. No, um, when when they when they 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 ate, they reclined at the table, and their smelly feet were out on the side, and they 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 laid down against the table. It's relaxing. So in the passage this morning, in fact, I just want to go back to the beginning of uh, Luke 14 to see the context of where Jesus actually teaches about hospitality. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. So Jesus teaches about hospitality in the context of someone hosting a meal. But the hosts uh, in this instance uh, isn't there because they're wanting to invite Jesus to welcome him, to make space for him when they don't have to. They're actually trying to trap him. 
They're actually trying to um, uh, trap him into healing on the Sabbath. And Jesus actually rebukes the hosts. He tells them off. And then he actually rebukes the guests that are there. Imagine being at that party. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? Hang, hanging out and this guy comes in and he just tells everyone off. So he, he tells the hosts off and he tells the guests off. And his rebuking is simply because both the hosts and the guests thought that the table was all about them, all about showing off, all about how good you were, all about knowing that you are on the in crowd and not on the out crowd, that the table, the meal, the invitation was because you were worthy and good enough. And that's why he, he, he talks about don't take the place of honour, go, go down. It's not about... Honor. It's not, and last week I talked about the the, the enemy of hospitality um, is superiority, and here again he's challenging that. It's not about how good you are. It's about being humble. It's about opening yourself up and giving to others when you don't have to. And so his rebuking is because they thought it's all about them. And it's in this context that Jesus says from verse 12, and he says to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbours. Now, is Jesus saying don't have family meals or a Buxton Christmas? (laughs) I don't think he's actually saying that. There is something that we call fellowship that is biblical, it's New Testament taught, and it's very important about getting together and sharing and being together and fellowshipping. Jesus isn't saying, don't do that. In fact, um, something uh, pretty cool has, has come up in the pastoral care team. Willie has had on her heart as part of getting together and bonding about having meals together, about actually having people host and randomly perhaps or purposely getting people who perhaps wouldn't normally get together in our church. And let's have some meals together. Let's get to know one another. And so Willie's actually looking at doing that and organising that sometime in the future. And I really encourage you to participate in that There's something very important about getting to know one another and fellowshipping. Jesus isn't saying, don't do that. What he is saying is don't make meals and table about being in a private club. Don't make it about being inclusive. Don't make it about only those who qualify to be accepted or to be your friends. Because that goes against the whole teaching of Jesus. It goes against the whole gospel and actually goes against the nature of God himself who went to great lengths to make sure that we would all be included at his table. And the motive should never be, if I do this, I look good. 
if I do this, I get good brownie points. Or I might then get invited back to the next person's house because I invited them. And so and so and so it goes. In verse 12 again, uh, don't do it so that you'll be repaid. Instead, invite the poor, the cripple, the lame, the blind, and you'll be repaid in heaven. You see, hospitality is about not being repaid, but being humble enough to make space for others. You see, that's precisely what you and I have received. When we think about it, we were poor, spiritually poor, in need of salvation, in need of inclusion, and Jesus came to us and he saved us. We were crippled, unable to make and lame, unable to make our way to him. And so he came to us. We have been blind to the spiritual reality of the truth of who we are and who he is. And he has opened up our hearts and it opened up our eyes to the truth of his wonderful gospel. And so as we have been poor, crippled, lame and blind, and he has welcomed us, we so in turn welcome others. There's a book called The Simplest Way to Change the World, Biblical Hospitality as a Way of Life. And the authors say this, anytime we practice hospitality, we follow in the steps of our lavishly hospitable God. Do you want to make a difference in this world? Do you want to make a difference in this world like Jesus did? Then make space for those that you don't have to. The poor, the lame, the blind, the uncool, the one picked last in the team, the socially awkward. Because you have no idea how much a person's life can be changed simply, simply because you said, we're having a barbecue at our house and I'd love you to come. That annoying person at work, that hard neighbour, that crazy kid down the street. Imagine what lives could be changed simply because we rediscover the ministry of the table. Paul had to rebuke Peter. Uh, was it to do with doctrine? Was it to do with a sermon he preached? Was it to do with uh, how he was setting up systems in the church? No. Do you know why Paul rebuked Peter? Because he refused to eat with Gentiles. That was the reason he had to tell Peter, the great apostle Peter, got up at Pentecost, started the church upon which the, built, the church was built, was rebuked because he didn't eat with Gentiles. John Newman, the author of uh, Amazing Grace, the hymn that we sing, uh, was speaking on this verse, and this is what he had to say about it. One would almost think that that passage, John 14, 
uh, Luke 14, was not considered as part of God's word, at least I believe there is no passage so generally neglected by his own people. You'd consider it not to be in the Bible because God's people aren't actually living it out. So make space for those outside your normal ring of inclusion. Expand your ring. And of course, that's what Jesus did as he goes on to then talk about the parable of the great feast. And this is one of my favourite parables. There's so much in this story that I'm not going to bring out this morning. But one of the people who was at that party says to Jesus, Oh, how blessed is the man who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. So here he is thinking again, it's about honour, it's about my place, I've made it, I'm on the in crowd, oh blessed am I going to be when I get to eat in the kingdom of God. And Jesus turns around to him and says, "Ah, let me tell you this parable. You see, this has been teaching about, and we can take from this, how we host and how we are hospitable. But now let me tell you a story about how I'm hospitable. Let me tell you how to do it. You've had a go. (laughs) Let me tell you how it's really done. He extends the circle of inclusion. And we get the story of a of a master who sets out this great feast, this banquet, and he invites people. And they come up with lame excuses as to why not to come. I've just bought a field and I need to go look at it. I mean, why haven't you looked at it before you bought it? (laughs) Why do you have to go look at it now? Or I've just bought some oxen and I have to, you know, go tend to them. Perhaps one we could relate to a bit more. Uh, I've just got married. There's plenty of jokes I could say there, but I'm just going to leave it there or I'll get in trouble. (laughs) The great truth, though, about this passage of Scripture is that when those who are invited don't come in, the host extends the circle and says, invite others. In fact, the servant says, I've done that. I've ordered what you've done, but there is still room. There is still room. Turn to the person next to you and say, there's still room. (laughs) Let that just dwell on you. And there's a couple of things I want to talk about that. Hey, church, there's some empty seats next to you. There's still room. There's work to be done. But on the flip side of that, Hey, perhaps you've never actually really come to the Lord. Or perhaps your experience of God has sort of dwindled lately. I want to say to you, there's room at his table. You have an invitation to sit at his table. In fact, I toyed with the idea of writing out invitations with everyone's names on it that you could take. 
but I was so scared that I'd forget someone, <laughs> that that would undo the whole idea that there's still room and that everyone's included. But you've been given an envelope and it's got your name on it. And that at his table, there is a place set for you with your name reserved. And he is waiting and he is desiring and he's hoping that you would come and that you would experience his hospitality, his generosity, his love, his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness. And that you would relax and know that you are included. You're not on the outs. He's extended the ring of inclusion and you're in it. There is still room. Come, don't make excuses. There is healing at his table. There is forgiveness at his table. There is love at his table. Most of all, there is inclusion. What, me? Jesus wants to sit with me? That's pretty crazy. And he wants to sit with you. You are welcome at his table. I'm going to get the, um, the team to come up. And I just want to end um, this morning by simply stating in our own lives, do we need to rediscover the ministry of the table? One of the things Joe and I loved doing when we first came to this church was having barbecues and having people around and getting to know them. And with lots of kids and <laughs> things happening, you know, that, that sort of died off uh, in recent years. And it feels like there's something missing uh, in our lives. And I feel like God's actually calling us to rediscover the ministry of the table. Perhaps God's challenging you to rediscover the ministry of the table. And when you're holding... Or even just, now if, it, if it's not Christmas, if it's not a birthday, because those are family events, I get that. Make up a new event. Make an excuse to have people over. And invite people that you wouldn't normally invite. Make space for those that you wouldn't have to. And rediscover the fact that just like Jesus you can make an impact in people's lives simply by having a meal. But secondly, as we reflect on his table, I want to finish with a quote from... Um, thanks. <laughs> Not ready? Can I click on that? No? There is a quote. There it is, from that same book. Let us use our homes to be micro-representations of that great final banquet. Places where believers gather around food and drink God has graciously provided, celebrating that God has brought us to himself 
and open that sacred space to all who are far from him. Let's become resentlessly resentlessly warm relentlessly warm and welcoming because we've been relentlessly welcomed in Christ. Made it sound funny, but you get what I'm saying. As we think about that final supper, that feast in heaven, as we think about all that he has done for us, perhaps this morning might be the first time that you say, hey, I've been invited and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come and take my place. I'm going to sit at the table. Or perhaps you might be someone who has gone through the Christian life and things have become normal. Things have become bland. The food that you're tasting in the spiritual church is pretty nah. Is God inviting you to his table again to experience how rich and how wonderful and how amazing is his love for us? That we would simply sit in his presence, that we would be welcomed by the host of hosts and that he would be generous and hospitable to us and that we would not be in want of anything, but in everything he provides for us. Perhaps you need to re-engage with his table this morning. We're going to sing this morning that song that we sang during the offering. And you might want to sit and dwell on what's been said this morning. You might want to stand. Or hey, you might even want to just come out the front and invite the, the prayer team out. And you might say, man, I, I feel really challenged to actually do something about being hospitable to others. Or I've actually come to the point where I actually need to re-engage with a hospitable God and allow his love to change me, to forgive me, to heal me, to give me his peace. Let's stand together and sing.